Well, before the uh, worship team walks off, you can continue to walk off, but I want to let you know I am so in love with God. When I see what our worship team here does, the way they make much of Jesus Christ, the way their, their single job is really one thing, and that is to make much of him and to point us to him. Amen? Thank you for them. I just think we should say thank you one more time because uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. I couldn't do that. <laughs> I couldn't do that. I don't have the skills. I don't know that I could do that. But as we open up God's word today, really, uh, my job is to do the same thing. It's to make much of Jesus Christ. And by the power of his, his written word, it's to go to what he has for us today and to point to the one who has died and the one who is resurrected. So let me, know, let me uh, tell you who I am. My name is Dean Annan, and I'm the discipleship pastor at Village Church of Bartlett. And so first I want to say thank you to so many of you. I've met many of you this morning. Thank you for the warm welcome here, and I hope that both uh, me and my wife Chris afterwards can meet more of you and get to know who you are. Um, also second, uh, but not least, happy Father's Day. There's many dads here this morning. So if no one said that yet, happy Father's Day to you. Uh, it is a day that we celebrate. It is a, a wonderful day. I hope it's a, it's a great day for you. Um, but here we are in the house of the Lord, and I know that today will be a celebration for many. And, and some of us come to this day, maybe, it's very possible with, with emotions, maybe, and even some pain. Maybe your background's a little different, and Father's Day doesn't bring good memories for you. Or, or maybe you didn't have a father, or, or maybe just the whole experience is difficult for you. And if that's the case, thank you that you're here. Because where else can we go with times of celebration or with our emotions or even times of pain? Where else can we go but the house of the Lord? Because we're here with the family of God. Amen. So it's just a great place to be. So thankful to be here. Let me pray one more time. Lord, thank you for our, our earthly fathers. Thank you for their love. Thank you for their cel uh, just their sacrifice as we celebrate them today. And God, we also ask for comfort for those who might be struggling a little bit today with, with what it means or fathers of their past. And so God, we thank you that we get to come here together as the family of God. And now as we turn to John chapter 9, we see this, this blind man who was healed by your son, the son of God, the son of man, Jesus the Messiah. Lord, may we learn all that you have in store for us today as we open up the written word and by the power of your Holy Spirit transform us today. Amen. Well, recently I was watching a podcast on leadership by a former Navy SEAL team leader, and one great advantage that this leader had in training or in combat was this. He was able to quickly assess a fast-moving, often chaotic, and sometimes violent situation by doing these things. He was able to get his eyes off his initial assessment Oftentimes, it was, it was right over his weapon. And what he had to do is he learned over time, he had to pull back to collect more data to see the bigger picture in order to make the right decision or the right next step. You see, sometimes he said that he's a little too close, and he had to pull back. He was almost blinded by being so close. And by pulling back and looking and collecting more information, he was able to make the obvious next step. And so he had to step back. He had to reassess. And sometimes for me, it's as, as simple as walking into a grocery store, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I'll have a list in front of me, and I see the milks. And there's so many kinds of milks. 
I mean, you have any idea what I'm talking about here? I had to look it up because I'm not crazy here. There's almond milk, soy milk, rice milk, goat milk, hemp milk, coconut milk, cashew milk, pea milk, spelled P-E-A, pea milk, cow milk. Did you know there's something called cow milk? Have we lost track of that? Save us, Lord. There's cow milk. And someone apparently had enough time on their hands to create something called chicken milk. You can look it up. In John 9, there's, this, uh, there's these previous chapters, as we've seen. As you come through this, you see that the Pharisees continued to have Jesus right in their sights. They were so narrowly focused on who they thought Jesus was that they missed who he was. They never stepped back. They were just blinded by their obstinance. And obstinance is the characteristic of being impossibly stubborn. Don't raise your hand if that's you. <laughs> but stubborn, headstrong, willful, and some other ones I came up with here are bullheaded and pigheadedness. Obstinance will blind you to the truth every time. Uh, today I'm titling this message, What Evil Looks Like, Blind and Obstinate. Oh, there's a lot more in John 9, but that's what I came up with for now. Now, God's designed all of us with this curiosity to hear a story, to enjoy a story, because stories, frankly, they just, they bring us along. They, 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 they speak to our emotions. They take us on a journey, and we meet persons and places, and, and there's these plots and scenes and tension and climaxes, and then finally resolutions. Stories are powerful weapons. They're powerful weapons to communicate. And so stories in the Bible, they teach us about God's people and our relationship. They teach us God's people about themselves and their relationship to God. And John 9, like the rest of John, is what's called a historical narrative. It's a story. It's a true story, of course, but, but stories are powerful. And did you know about three quarters of the Old Testament, about half of the New Testament are in story form? There's a reason. Because they communicate God's truth and we're captured by it. In John chapter 9, as we get there, from last week, Jesus is leaving the temple. He's probably still in Jerusalem. And the Pharisees, yes, they still hate him because he's done many things they don't like, including he claimed to be God. And going back a ways, you might remember, and previous weeks, you've heard some of this, but Jesus uses these metaphors like water and bread for himself. Why does he do that? He's pointing out the fact that he is the only one who gives life, who satisfied people, who sustains people. And he's the only one who gives eternal life. And in, in last chapter, chapter 8, again, from last week, he pointed to himself as God, saying, I am the light of the world. This is what Jesus was doing. So today, we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 9. And I want to just tell the story, the way John records it for us, and let the plot develop the plot, and the main points come along as we go through the story. And you'll see the outline as we get there. But along the way, you're going to see a blind man, a lot of other, Jesus, of course, a lot of other people. And I want you to watch out for this one big idea. And the one big idea is this. Evil is obstinate, but testifying to Jesus is powerful. Evil is obstinate, but testifying to Jesus is powerful. So part one, it's just the first 12 verses. And what you see is, is, is Jesus, I've mentioned, he's left the temple. He's probably out in Jerusalem. And these are the first 12 verses. I entitle it Blindness Healed. And verse 1 says this. As he passed by, this is Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man 
blind from birth. So we have Jesus, we have a blind man, and in verse 2 it says that his disciples are with him. And now something else interesting happens here in verses 2 through 4. The the disciples say, well, who sinned to make this man blind? You'll have to come back next week. There's a whole sermon on that. (laughs) So I'm not putting this aside too much for now, but I just, next week, that's what the sermon's going to be about, this whole question of this man sinning, and what's that about, or did he sin, or why is he blind? All of that is next week. So if we move on for now, Jesus sees this man He's helpless. He's hopeless. And there's no hope for this man. In that day, what beggars, what, what blind people did is they basically begged. That was it. That's all they had. But Jer- Jesus has mercy on this man. Now why? Well, he's God. Of course he's merciful. That's not it. That's not the whole thing. There's more to it. There's more to the reason of why he gives this man sight, as we'll see in a moment. It's because of what we see in verse 3, and I'll read it. It says, so that this is why Jesus is giving this man sight, as we're going to see in a moment. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Let's read verse 5. Verse 5 says this, As long as I am in the world, Jesus is talking, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He repeats this from the last chapter when he was in the temple. Verse 6, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man, that means he smeared, he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. A physical, real, actual miracle. Jesus did it. This completely hopeless situation. A man with congenital blindness is now healed. A sign from God. A sign miracle, meaning pointing to Jesus' deity. The light of the world is Jesus Christ, who gives light to the eyes of a man who is completely physically blind. And it's like a... It's like a God-sized object lesson. Uh, last chapter, he, clare, he declared he was God through saying, I am the light of the world, and now he does it. He gives light to a man who had no light in his eyes. He demonstrated, Jesus did, he is God by what he did. Going a little deeper, the light metaphor also stands for what dispels the darkness of ignorance, sin, and death. Jesus does all that. So Jesus is proving the light of the world, and some of this is reviewed from last week. Light of the world, he's God himself. This light metaphor was part of Israel's history. Uh, The Jews associated light with God's presence. In the first day of creation, you might remember he created light. And the fourth day, he created two big lights. And he led the Israelites through the wilderness, through a pillar of fire. And he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And he appeared to the Israelites on Mount Sinai as fire. That's light. So from light to sight, the Old Testament says this about God, that God is the one who gives sight. That's really important, and the Israelites knew that. Exodus 4 says this. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Here's what he said. He said, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? And also in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says that 
it is a function of the Messiah, meaning Jesus, to come to give sight to the blind. The prophesied Messiah will do these things. Isaiah chapter 29 says the function of the Messiah is to give as Isaiah is talking about the servant Messiah to come. He will give eyes. The eyes of the blind will see. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened. That's Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 42. To open the eyes that are blind. This is what the Messiah will come and do. So the question is, who is Jesus? Wait, that's a ridiculous question. Why would, at this point, what have we seen? In the book of John, if you go back and look and you see what happens today, all those previous miracles, and then today, healing this blind man, he's God. But how he heals this man is interesting. And we want to be really careful here. We, well, we have to remember, he, he could have thought the man healed, and he could have been healed. He could have just said one word, and the man could have been healed. But he goes through this method, which is interesting. But what I want to warn us about is this. Jesus was not teaching a methodology of how to physically heal people. The reason I say that is because it depends on what you read and, and what you watch. But there are churches today, false churches today, and false teachers today that teach methodologies in how to go do physical healings of people run far and run fast from those churches. What Jesus is doing here is something different. He's using his methodology to simply point to who he is. First, here's what he's doing. He's communicating his intentions to heal. He was using his own saliva. Sounds really weird, doesn't it? I mean, in our day, yeah, really. No, not, not, not really to the people then. Remember chapter six, or verse six says this, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. And then he smeared it on the man's eyes. Saliva in that day was considered a treatment for blindness by some rabbis. That's his intention, to show he is going to heal. The second thing, he used dust of the ground, right? He used dust of the ground, um, and that's probably meant to parallel God's creation of man. Remember Genesis 2, verse 7? I'll read it for you. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostril. Again, the, this is the greatest rabbi obviously ever, the greatest teacher obviously ever. Jesus Christ is showing his intentions and he's communicating through his methodology who he is, not how to do it, but who he is. It's beautiful. Jesus truly, truly is the light of the world. And so the next few verses, uh, another scene comes on board here, and it's verses 8 through 12. And what you see is, here is Jesus is no longer there, but the healed man is still there, and his acquaintances show up. His acquaintances are, and we'll see that in a second, his neighbors that knew him and some of the other people that knew him as a beggar come by. So let's review the facts and also look at what we learned from verses 8 through 9. I'm going to read verses 8 through 9. We'll have it up there. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying this. This is, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it is like him. And the healed man kept saying this, I am the man. And what I, he kept saying means in the original languages, he kept saying it. <laughs> he kept saying, I am the man. He had to stand up to the truth. But before we go there, remember, we, we've seen him as a blind, 
beggar man now healed by Jesus, and many have seen that. And now we see here in verse 9, some of his acquaintances saw him before as a man who was blind, and now they're attesting to the truth, the truth that this was the blind man, now he's healed. And in verse 11 and on, he continues to recount and testify some of the details about what Jesus did and that he smeared the the mud on his eyes and he went to the pool and he washed and he came back seeing. The man recounts these things, some of which he had to be been told by some of the others because he wasn't actually seeing till later. But in verse 9, what happens? Some of those acquaintances won't believe. They knew the man. They clearly knew this blind man. But they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe the obvious truth of what was right in front of them. And why wouldn't they believe? Because evidence cannot fix obstinance. It just can't. This theme that I'm talking about here continues on and on as you move towards and we meet the Pharisees in a moment. But friends, let's be very careful because some of us are prone to obstinance in our own ways. Even as Christians, we can be. Remember, obstinance is this characteristic of being impossibly stubborn. It's stubbornness. It's, it's pride. Nothing good about it. We want to be really careful because if you have a, a grandchild or maybe a daughter who's strong-willed, oh, be so careful about that. <laughs> What's underneath that? is pride. Strong-willed just doesn't mean, oh, they're going to be type A and they're going to be a go-getter. No. We have to be careful because this is obstinance. And we need to kill that in any way we can. We need to pull back. Even as followers of Jesus, sometimes we need to pull back, reassess the situation of our own lives and what's in our own hearts, like the Navy SEAL team leader, Pull back, make a better decision with more data, even about yourself, and kill that sin. And it starts by asking God, where is my heart? And asking others, what do you see in me? Ask for forgiveness. From God, yes, but from others also. So what what does the man um, do here when people didn't believe him? I love verse 9. It's so simple, he kept saying, I am the man. I am the man. And he told them over and over again. He fought unbelief with what? With his testimony. With his encounter of Jesus Christ. He had no prior reputation. He didn't need to be trusted. He had had no platform. He had no podcast. He had no podium to speak behind. He probably had nothing to his name. Maybe a few coins he collected when he was a beggar. He had nothing but... He, like probably many of you, have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Amen? You have that. That is powerful. No one can take that away from you. Remember this this big idea. Evil is obstinate. But testifying to Jesus is powerful. A believer's Uh, As believers in Jesus, there's a lot of power that God gives us. Um, I won't go through the whole list, but one of which, of course, is the Holy Spirit of God. We know that his written word is another, the truth, the truth in the written word of God. Prayer, prayer is so amazing. I (laughs) should do another sermon on that. Prayer is so amazing. And fourth, your testimony. Have you ever thought about that? The power of your testimony, it's yours. No one can take it away from you. And God wants you to use it like this man. So fight against the doubters and fight against doubt with your testimony. You know, have you ever, 
have you ever uh, come up with a faith story? And I'll define what I mean by that because some others use this terminology too, faith story. Faith story is just a two-minute account, just a two-minute account of how you came to know Jesus as Savior for those who are following Christ. The point here is that it can be a bridge then later to have a conversation with people about spiritual things or Jesus or the gospel. It's a two-minute story because, frankly, most people aren't going to listen more than two minutes. <laughs> of how you came to know Jesus. So there's a before. What were you like before Christ or thinking and actions and what was going on in your life? And then how? What were the circumstances leading up to you coming to faith in Jesus Christ? How did that happen? And afterwards, what has God been doing in your life since then? Maybe it's been 60 or 70 years since you've been a Christian. Maybe it's been six months since you've been a Christian. But God is working and a faith story, then, is just something I want to challenge all of us to have if you don't already have one formed. If you haven't went back and reassessed, if you can't recount it yet, take the time to do that, even today, because it's so powerful, and it is yours to share, like this man. And we'll see this man's faith develop as we move along. So that's part one, blindness healed, verses 1 through 12. And then Jesus we've seen so far in these first few verses. He demonstrates that he's the light of the world, God himself, by healing this man. And then what else did we see? We saw, although some man, some doubted this man, he powerfully told his testimony. He told people about his encounter with Jesus Christ. So moving to the next section, this is still in John chapter 9. It's the whole middle section. It's a big section, verses 13 through 34. The heat gets turned up. Anybody outside last week? And you survived? I'm so glad so many of you made it. It was bad. I remember going outside with my daughter, Grace, to walk our dogs. I came back, I had to change my shirt. It was awful. Well, the, the heat now actually gets turned way, way up. Um, the healed man's acquaintances take the healed man to the Pharisees. Part two, obstinance revealed. And what we're going to see is what the character of unbelief looks like. Uh, just to simplify things, and I have some of this up there, we're going to see at the beginning of this section the first interrogation that the Pharisees do to this healed man. And then they bring in the parents, and they interview the parents, and then they're back and they still don't believe. Then they bring back the man again for another and second and final interrogation. So the players right now are the acquaintances, the healed man and the Pharisees. These are the, the neighbors and so on. It was such a big event of what just happened to him that they want to take him to the Pharisees. But also, as we'll see in a moment, it was the Sabbath. Verse 14 says this. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, other Pharisees said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among the Pharisees. Note in verse 15, he continues to, to testify in front of the most powerful people he knew, the Pharisees. He had to be careful what he said, but yet he chose to testify and tell the truth still. And the Pharisees were divided, just like his acquaintances were divided earlier. But this time, the Pharisees were divided over something else, whether or not this man, Jesus, is a sinner or not because of what he did on the Sabbath. 
But what's the real problem? According to the Pharisees, he's a sinner because he broke the Sabbath law. But the Sabbath law was never intended to keep anyone from doing acts of mercy. He didn't break the Sabbath. All Jesus did was break the rabbinic traditions and rules they added on top of the Sabbath law. In Jewish tradition, not in God's law, but in Jewish tradition, the healing like Jesus did or even kneading dough was against the law, their law, their version, not God's law. It, spitting on the dust and forming mud out of it, in their view, was kneading dough. Don't ask me. <laughs> Jesus knew. He knew it was the Sabbath, right? I mean, we can agree on that. He's got, he, he knew it was the Sabbath. He also knew that these evil leaders, some of the Pharisees, were plotting his death. There were schemes at bay waiting to take Jesus' life. Jesus knew all of this, and yet, Jesus picked a fight with evil. He knew this, and he did it anyways. It's hard to take that Jesus and put him in a box, isn't it? It's kind of hard to do that. <laughs> you know, intelligent and very educated people like the Pharisees, and even today, often um, have a lot of difficulty if their pride gets in the way of understanding God and his holy word. A while back, I was reading some very intelligent um, men, many of which were, were scientists, and they're, um, some have passed away already. Uh, they're all atheists, and they're known by this title. They're known by the title of the Four Horsemen of the New Atheism. And uh, some of their names, you might know them, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and Sam Hawkins. No, Sam Harris, and they speak sometimes, they're out of their league, they're out of their element, but they speak sometimes and write about God and about the Bible. But their arrogance and their pride and their ignorance is just overwhelming when you read what they say about God, about the people of God, about the times of the Bible, and their interpretation and understanding. And they call the people who follow the Bible idiots. And so it's it's interesting how the Apostle Paul seems to get it right when he says about people who have these attitudes or outside of their element, don't step back in any humility at all and look to seek more truth. The Apostle Paul says this, they have become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Remember this, evidence cannot fix obstinance. It just can't. It takes opening up your heart and your mind reassessing, pulling back, looking, collecting more data, and understanding who is Jesus. Because pride sometimes can be in the way and keep everyone far from God. In verse 17, uh, you can see this man's faith change a little bit, even develop. Now he says he's a prophet. Why does he say he's a prophet? Because he's under heat because he's being challenged, because he's being scrutinized, because he's being questioned, because he's being interrogated, and now he's starting to understand as he's forced to reflect a little more about who Jesus is. He knows he's not a sinner. He knows he's not a sinner. He knows he's a man of God. He calls him a prophet. Instead, more truth, more testimony comes out of this man's mouth, and it's starting to backfire, frankly. I think it's funny. It's starting to backfire on the Pharisees. Church, don't ever be afraid. Amen? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to tell the truth. The more you tell the truth about who Jesus is, it's just going to grow you. It's going to grow your faith. 
It's going to test you and help you and become more of the disciple that Jesus wants you to become. In the next scene, moving forward, 18 to 23, the Pharisees still aren't buying the fact that this man was healed from blindness. So now it's the time of the parents. They bring the parents in. They're going to get to the bottom of this. The Pharisees think now the parents here are on the scene. They start the interview, but the parents know that the Pharisees have the power to kick them out of the synagogue. And by the way, in that day, that'd pretty much be their economic ruin. But the parents decide to tell the truth. There's a lot of questions that they have to answer, and so they tell the truth. Verse 20. Here's what they say about their son. His parents answered the Pharisees. Verse 20. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Remember verse 9? The man was saying, and he kept saying, I am the man, and now the parents are saying, this is the man, he's our son. He was the man, he was born, congenital blindness, and now he can see the same man. No thinking person who cares about truth can refute this kind of evidence. These are the parents. Oh my goodness, these are the parents. The confirmation is there, the evidence is there. Jesus gave sight to this man. But these evil Obstinate Pharisees continue to remain blind to what Jesus has done and who he is, even faced with the irrefutable evidence of the parents saying, this is our son. They still don't believe it. So they're done with them. They bring the man back in. They keep trying, don't they? They just keep trying. They bring the healed man back in one more time, second interrogation. The heat gets up. Uh, gets turned up even a little more than last week. It gets so bad, it even blows up here at the end, and you'll see that. Let's go to verse 24. The Pharisees say this to the blind man, give glory to God. And what they mean by that in verse 24, give glory to God, is they're saying, own up to the truth. We know you're telling a lie. It's now time for you to give glory to God by telling the truth. So verse 24 says this, for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, meaning Jesus, we know that this man is a sinner. Now the Pharisees had already predetermined that Jesus is a sinner. They're trying to prejudice this man to think that Jesus is a sinner. And what's their goal? Well, their goal is a a common goal. That's one of the many goals of evil, and that is simply to get people to deny Jesus Christ. That's their goal. Evil's goal. One of its many goals is to get people to deny Jesus Christ. They believe that he had broken the Sabbath. They believe that Jesus would steal their power, would steal their influence, and their goal was to get him to deny Jesus as not just the Messiah, but that he healed him. And one writer made a a list of what willful unbelief looks like. A writer and a pastor, he said this, and you'll see some parallels here on the screen with what we're going through right now in John chapter 9. Willful unbelief looks like this. It sets false standards. It always wants more evidence. Sound familiar? Always wants more evidence. Is biased. Rejects truth. Rejects facts. And is self-centered. Look at verse 25. <clears throat> so before all this, with the Pharisees, the man now answers, and he says this. This is the man answering. I love this. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. 
One thing I do know, that once I was blind, and now I see. That's what this man says. Your testimony is so powerful. The healed man, by the way, the healed man knew a little better not to get into a theological argument with the Pharisees, right? Whether he was a sinner or not, and he kind of skirted that. He didn't have to. Why? Because he had great power. His great power was his encounter, his encounter with Jesus Christ, his testimony. One thing I do know, that once I was blind and now I see. Succinct to the point and the truth. For me as a, as a young man, my idols were, were sports and grades and performance when I was young, and it, it kept my heart from Jesus. I was a churchgoer. I was very, very involved in church, did a lot of things, uh, revered God in my own way, loved God. I believed in my own way, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know Jesus as my Savior. I knew he'd done something great, and I thought he was great. That's pretty much where it went. And then in my 20s, someone gave me a book, and it pointed me towards the Bible. And then I went to the Bible, and then I read about the gospel for what seemed like the first time and realized I was actually a sinner. Me? Yeah, I was a sinner. And I needed a Savior, Jesus, who would die for me and the same one who rose again three days later. I came to faith after three nights of really intense prayer. And my wife, Chris, came to faith that same night. And since then, God has been giving us peace even through trials and just growing us year after year after year. I can't have no more time to talk about that, and that's my story. But that's my encounter with Jesus Christ, and nobody can get me to deny that. That's a power of truth that he has given me in my own heart. So as we move on a little bit in this passage, 28, 29, in these verses we get moving here, it even gets more heated. And this is actually, in some odd way, really fun to read. This man becomes more bold. Honestly, if you read it carefully, he's a bit snarky here and even sarcastic. I love that. Because what is he realizing? Well, these Pharisees, it's not just their obstinance, they're hypocrites. They don't care about God and his ways, not this group of Pharisees. He's being reviled. And reviled here in the language means to be verbally abused. So this is kind of sort of almost like a shouting match or a back and forth. And, and the Pharisees now are claiming to be Moses's. This is verse 28, if you're following along. They're claiming to be Moses's disciples. Wait a minute. Who do they think Moses was talking to on Mount Sinai? <laughs> The great I am, the God of the universe, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the same one who's right in front of them, who's walking amongst them, who's been in the temple, who's been out doing all these miracles, the same Jesus is the one that Moses was talking to, and they still don't get it. And so the healed man, who once was blind physically, is now seeing even more spiritually than all the Pharisees combined. And something crazy happens about now. When you get to about verse 30, something absolutely crazy happens. The blind man is doing this. He's turning the tables on the Pharisees. He's now going to become their teacher. <laughs> this man who moments ago was begging, who was blind, had nothing to his name. I'll skip down to verse 32. So the healed man here is beginning to teach the great and learned Pharisees. And here, this man who has no podcast, no platform, no nothing, is teaching these Pharisees. He says, never since, verse 32, the world began, has it ever been heard that anyone's opened the eyes of a man born blind? Verse 33, 
if this man, he's talking about Jesus, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The former beggar, this blind man, is showing the spiritual uh, insight. He's teaching the obstinate Pharisees. He's correct, by the way, the scriptures do not record any former healings of a, of a blind man, the Hebrew scriptures. And that was reserved for the Messiah, as we saw earlier from the book of Isaiah. And so, what they do? They threw him out. <laughs> they threw him out of the synagogue because that's what evil people will do. They will cancel. They will shut down. They will stop conversation. They will stop dialogue. So they threw him out. And his chances at a future were probably limited at that point after being thrown out of God's house. Remember the big idea? Evil is what? Obstinate. <laughs> testifying to Jesus is powerful. Evil is obstinate, but testifying to Jesus is powerful. And I'm going to add to that, and sometimes it's costly. So that's part two. Obstinance revealed. That was verses 13 through 34. Again, just telling the story the way John tells it. We move forward into part three. The final part is part three, salvation sealed in verse 35. And here's where Jesus comes back in, and he rescues the man. Verse 35 says this, and on Jesus heard that they had cast him out, cast the, the man, the healed man, out of the synagogue. And having found him, looks to me here like Jesus is looking for this man. And he found him, and he said this to the healed man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Let me stop there for a moment, because if you've been in church for a long time, reading the Bible, you, you know what this is talking about. But if you're a bit new to the Bible, or if you're watching online, the Son of Man, if you're not sure what that is, that's an Old Testament referral to the Messiah. It's a title that he takes upon himself. The, the Son of Man was one from the book of Daniel that's going to come in the future. He will be God himself, who will be worshipped by all nations. But not just God himself. He'll be God in the flesh. Let me keep reading. Verse 36. He answered, and who is he, sir? Meaning, who is the Son of Man? So this healed man knew about the Son of Man, what that meant. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Can you imagine that right then? I wonder what his heart was doing. Mine would have been jumping. And the man said, the healed man said in verse 38, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now, any self-respecting Jew of that day knew there was only one God. And he's worshiping Jesus. He chose to worship Jesus at that point. His salvation is sealed. You remember the, this, the uh, kind of the progression here? Way back in verse 17, he called him a prophet. So he knew he wasn't a sinner. He knew he was from God. And then all throughout, all the way up verses 25 and verses 30 and 32 and so on, he's, he's proclaiming through his testimony the truth of who this man is and what he must have done or, or what he had done in his life. And now in verse 38, he worships him. Beautiful progression of faith. I need to wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. John 9, the chapter, the blind man and had an encounter with Jesus. He was healed physically, healed spiritually, but not the Pharisees. In John 9, we see... John 9 proved that Jesus is the light of the world and the Son of Man. We also see that 
um, John 9 demonstrates, and it demonstrated for us, that Jesus seeks sinners who are spiritually blind. Also, John 9 reminds us that evil, by its nature, is often obstinate, rejects truth, and is never satisfied. We should remember that from this chapter. But also, I think in John 9, there's, there's a challenge here. There's a challenge here for all of us as believers in Christ to own, to learn, to develop your encounter with Jesus Christ because it's powerful. You can share it. It evolves over time, yes, but own it, reflect on it, and recount it, and share it. It's a powerful thing for a Christian, like it was for the healed man. So I want to end with this three so what's. There's a lot of challenges, frankly, from this chapter. It's hard for me to just whittle down a few things, but there's a lot there. I pray that the Spirit of God is working in you. A few so what's. The first one is, do you believe in the Son of Man? Because it might be that somebody today is still wondering about that and wondering about Jesus and do you believe in him? Because until you believe in Jesus, you're spiritually blind. You remain in your sin. Unless you say, Lord, I believe died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day. You know, like this, this Navy uh, SEAL team commander talks about stepping back, reassess, take all the data in. Today we have the whole canon of scripture. We know Jesus died on the cross as he said he would. And as he said he would, he rose three days later proving he is God. It's time, if you believe in Jesus today, your sins are all forgiven and your salvation is sealed, come to him. Don't wait, please. Second thing, if you're a believer in Christ, you can own, you can develop. I just mentioned this a moment ago. You can share your testimony. You know, we don't have to know everything. What did the man say? He said, one thing I know, right? One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Your encounter with Jesus matters. You can meet those uh, anyone with unbelief or who is obstinate with your testimony. Never deny it. It's a powerful thing in your hands. But leave the results up to God. The pressure's not on you. God will do the work. You just testify. Let God do the rest. It'll grow your faith. It'll grow you as a disciple. Third, fight against your own obstinance. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. If I, have to, if, I, if I want, I'll point it. You can talk to Chris. I can point to myself. Fight, fight your own obstinance, whatever it is. Maybe it's strongholds of sin in your life. Maybe it's blind spots, which frankly, most of those usually end up being also sin anyways. Sin is blinding spiritually, and there's, there's a great personal challenge for all of us today to just identify our sin, and how can we do that? Ask God, but also ask others. Ask others. We're in the family of God. We can trust one another. Because if we fight this sin, if we come clean with God, we can be the light of the world, and his light can shine through us. Let's pray. Lord, it is a beautiful thing what you do and what you have done, not just in this John chapter 9 through this man, but how you've revealed yet again, without doubt, with all of the evidence that you are the light of the world. You are beautiful. God, would you change our hearts as we reflect on this today? After you've given us this word, God, transform us. Teach us to live more for you, that we might be a light for you as you are the light of the world. Might we reflect your light to those around us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.